It's always good to be with you here at Connection Point, and I'm grateful to Pastor John for the opportunity to speak to you two weekends during this month of July on this very important topic, Don't Give Up. I promised my son that this summer I would help him paint the outside of his house. So just a couple weeks ago, we got the ladders and the brushes and the scrapers and the the paint pans and the rollers and all of that, and we set out to paint his entire house, and we just had two days to do it. I was determined, no matter what, we were not going to give up until that house was fully painted. But the weather didn't cooperate. It started raining just after we started. And you know, you can't paint in the rain, but we waited it out. I was determined I'm not going to give up until that house is painted. So when the rain subsided, we scraped and we worked and we painted some more. Then the sun came out and it got really, really hot. But I was determined we're not going to give up. There was one time, though, in the late afternoon when I thought seriously about giving up. I was painting up on a ladder right at the top peak of his house, in the very front of the house, and as I climbed up the ladder, painting my way up, right at the very peak, guess what was there? A wasp's nest, with two angry wasps staring down at me like, you have no right to be here, this is our domain. Well, I didn't want to leave one unpainted spot right at the very top peak of his house, so I took my brush, and I reached up, and I took one swipe and painted it, and then scrambled down the ladder as fast as I could to get away from the wasps. Let me tell you, there are times in life when we're all tempted to give up. Maybe you're there right now. If you ever feel like giving up, you are not alone, because according to the U.S. Census Bureau, right now in America, four out of ten people report symptoms of anxiety and depression. And sadly, suicide attempts are on the increase. Maybe you feel like giving up on your job, or you feel like giving up on your marriage, or you feel like giving up on your friends. Maybe you're tempted to walk away from your responsibilities and just forget about it all. I heard about a New York City bus driver who at the end of the day did not return with his bus as usual from his shift. People were concerned, but eventually the bus driver turned up with his bus in Miami, Florida. He said, I just was so tired of dealing with all the stress and all the complaining. I just, at the end of the day, I just got in my bus and I just kept on driving. Now listen, I don't recommend doing what that guy did. But I think I know how he feels. My message to you today is don't give up when you are hurt or sick. Don't give up when you're discouraged or defeated. Don't give up when life disappoints you. Don't give up when other people let you down. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, let's not get tired of doing what is good. Some translations say, don't grow weary in well-doing. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So don't give up if you're young. The Bible says there's surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. And don't give up when you're old. The Bible says even in old age, God's faithful people will still produce fruit. Now, I know personally how it feels to feel like throwing in the towel and giving up, but I've also lived long enough to see the Lord come through over and over again. So I invite you to open your Bible or your Bible app to the book of Hebrews, We're going to focus today on Hebrews chapter 10, but I want to tell you the entire book of Hebrews is a great book 
to read. It contains 13 chapters, and the word better appears 13 times within this book of Hebrews. If you want things to get better in your life, this is a great book to read because according to Hebrews, Jesus is better than any other leader. Jesus is better than the angels. That's in Hebrews chapter 1. He's greater than Old Testament heroes like Moses and Aaron and Joshua. That's Hebrews chapters 2 through 7. He offers a better rest for all of us. That's Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus came and brought a new and better covenant or solemn agreement with God for his people. That's in chapters 8 and 9. And then in chapter 10 of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus offers a better sacrifice. In fact, the book begins in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 by saying the Son, that's Jesus, radiates God's own glory. I love the way it says that. He radiates, shines forth with God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. So that's a way of saying Jesus is brilliant, brilliant. He shines like the morning sun after a long dark night. And then at the end of the book, in Hebrews 13, 8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's brilliant, but he's also resilient. He's consistent. He's faithful. And it leads me to think, and this whole book of Hebrews makes us ask, how faithful are we? When you get knocked down, do you bounce back? You know, it's great if you get to be the starting quarterback on your football team, but you know what's even better than being the starting quarterback? To be the finishing quarterback, to hang in there even when you're hurt and play the whole game and still be playing, still be fighting for your team at the end of the game. You know how sometimes advertising taglines get into your head? You know, if I say the jingle, like a good neighbor, you know that it ends with State Farm is there. Well, I got to thinking about this the other day. I thought, what would, I, what would be my tagline if I, saw, if I sold glue and adhesives? I thought my, my tagline would be, stick with it. <laughs> stick with it. Well, you know what? That's kind of a tagline for the book of Hebrews. The theme of the book of Hebrews for us is stick with it. Stick with your faith. Stick with the Lord. Hang in there. Persevere. On this 4th of July weekend, we thank God for the perseverance of the 56 patriots who signed the Declaration of Independence. They hung in there. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor. Some of them lost their homes. Some of them spent time in prison. Some of them endured health problems. But they stuck with it. And we enjoy the blessings of liberty because of their courage and their sacrifice. So the book of Hebrews tells us, stick with it. And Hebrews chapter 10 encourages us to hold on even when we feel like letting go. Well, here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 19. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Now, let's pause there for a moment. The reason it uses this symbolism of Jesus opening the way through the curtain is that in the temple in Jerusalem, there was actually a large veil, a big, big, tall, thick curtain that separated the place that represented the presence of God from ordinary people. 
And only the high priest could go back there, and he couldn't only, could, could only do it once a year. It wasn't like everybody every day could just walk into the presence of God. This big curtain separated them from that. But at the very moment that Jesus died, according to the Gospels, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, that big curtain was miraculously torn from top to the bottom. God tore the curtain. It was a symbol of new, fresh access that we have to the presence of God. So then continuing in verse 21, it says, And since we have a great priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, before we go on, I want to clarify something. When we say, don't give up, throughout this month of July, we're going to be talking about that here at Connection Point. When we say, don't give up, that does not mean that there's never a time when something should end. Dr. Henry Cloud has written a really helpful book called Necessary Endings. And in that book, he tells how there are times when you need to quit a job that's no longer right for you, or you need to set boundaries in an unhealthy relationship. You remember on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He wasn't giving up. He was actually acknowledging that he had completed what the Father had sent him to do. The book of Hebrews says that God replaced his old covenant with a new and better covenant in Christ. So there are times when old things need to be done away with and new things need to come. If God makes it clear in your life, according to his word and the guidance of his Holy Spirit, that it's time for something to end, that's okay if it's from God. But Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us about three things that we need to hold on to that we should never give up, no matter what. In fact, if you look closely at verses 23 through 25, several times you see this phrase, let us, let us. Verse 22 is the first one I want to call your attention to. Verse 22 says, let us go right into the presence of God. Now, in Bible times... The presence of God made people think about the temple in Jerusalem or the big mountain called Mount Sinai where Moses went up, you remember, and received the Ten Commandments. Several years ago, my wife Candy and I had the chance to visit Mount Sinai and we climbed the mountain. I should tell you, my wife was smarter than I was, she always is. She paid $20 and she rode a camel up the mountain. I was determined, I wanted to walk up. So in my pride I refu- and, and cheapskateness, I refused to pay the 20 bucks, and so I walked up. And about halfway up the mountain, I was regretting my choice. I looked up, and there was Candy way up high, waving, smiling, riding the camel happily, and I was sweating and chugging along, trying to walk up that mountain. But let me tell you, when we got to the top of the mountain, just as the sun was setting, and we were up on Mount Sinai with our Bibles reading the Ten Commandments, it was an awe-inspiring thing. To be there where Moses experienced the presence of God. But here's the thing. According to the book of Exodus, ordinary people couldn't go up on the mountain 
to meet with God like that. Moses got to, but ordinary people were told, you can't even touch the mountain where God is or you will die. The message then wasn't draw near to God or just come boldly into his presence. The message then was, hey, you better stand back. You better keep your distance. And maybe that's the way you've always felt about God. God is holy and God is awe-inspiring. But how dare we come walking into the presence of God? Under the law of Moses, animal sacrifices were offered and repeated year after year, but they couldn't take away sins once and for all. Those animal sacrifices merely reminded the people that they had disobeyed God. But we don't need to just be reminded about our sin. We need our sins removed, and only the blood of Jesus can do that. Hebrews 10, 19 says, We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Do you ever feel like you're on the outside of something looking in and you'd be curious about what's going on inside there? I, I love baseball. I'm a major league baseball fan. I've always liked that. And sometimes I've wondered, what's it like in the clubhouse? Would I be welcome there if I could just go in there and be around the players and see what they're really like? Or, or maybe you're interested in history or government and you think, what's it really like in the White House or in the Oval Office or in the Situation Room? Or maybe you're curious, I'm not, maybe you're curious about the royals in Great Britain and you wonder what life is really like in the palace. Well, what is it like to go into the throne room of God? Listen, Hebrews, early, earlier in this book, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's an amazing verse because it's picturing God's throne not just in His holiness and majesty, but also as a throne of grace, as a safe place that you can approach where you'll receive mercy and grace and kindness from God who is there. Wow. You see, at the cross, God painted His love in living color. Jesus is the mediator, our go-between, whose sacrifice opens the door for us to come before the Father. That's why verse 22 in Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. Verse 22 goes on to say that we can do this with a clean conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water, just like the Old Testament priests had to bathe before they would come into the temple to serve God. And just as we are baptized when we begin our life of faith. So here is the point. Don't give up on God. Maybe you feel like, I've tried to give God a chance, but I just feel like giving up on Him. Maybe you've tried and you feel like giving up. You actually ought to read the Psalms because many of the Psalms have messages like this. God basically saying, I don't completely understand you, God, but I know you're there. Help me to hold on through these difficult circumstances of life. A couple of weeks ago, a big thunderstorm was blowing in here in Indiana, and my wife Candy and I were standing in our house watching out the kitchen window as the wind and the rain began to blow across our backyard. We saw a couple of deer run into the woods for shelter as the wind started to whip across the grass. I noticed a squirrel looking like, oh no, i got to find a safe place. And there's a squirrel's nest way up at the top part of a high tree in our backyard. And I saw this squirrel look at that squirrel's nest, and he headed straight for that tree and raced up the tree trunk, 
raced all the way up there as the wind and the rain were whipping him, and he's just ready to enter the squirrel's nest. And just at that moment, just while we were watching, it turns out another squirrel was already in the nest, and the squirrel that was already in the nest reached out and swatted him away, wouldn't let him come in. I felt bad for that first squirrel. He had to run all the way back down the tree and go out somewhere else to find a safe place to find shelter. Maybe you can relate to that squirrel. Sometimes you you climb and you climb and you work and you work, and just when you think you've made it and just when you're safe, you find out there's no room in the nest. Maybe you've felt that way with God. Let me tell you, if you are searching for a safe place, God wants to be your refuge and strength. He will not reject you. He will not push you away. So do not give up on God. He has not given up on you. In my mind, I know it is logical to believe in God. I hope you believe that too. If your cell phone was designed by human intelligence, who designed your DNA? Who puts atoms together with electrons and protons and neutrons? Who's smart enough to do that? Who invented and created monarch butterflies with all their beauty? For that matter, who designed sweet little animals like my dog Nugget? And who created the mountains and the oceans and the stars? See, it's just logical to believe that God exists. In Hebrews, it says that that faith means believing that God exists and understanding, this is in Hebrews chapter 11, and understanding that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So if it makes sense to you believe, to believe in a Creator, seek Him and God will honor that search. The problem is, while I believe with all my mind that it makes sense that God exists, I look at all the evil and struggles in the world, I look at my own trials and tribulations and troubles, and I think, how do I know that God cares about me? And how, does it, how do I know He cares about you? That's where Jesus comes in. God is not just a religious idea or a philosophical concept. The God who created the universe came to earth as a baby born in Bethlehem. Hebrews says he was tempted in all things just like you and I are. He knows how it feels to be alone, to be rejected, to die. He laid down his life for you. Don't give up on God. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us go right into the presence of God. That's possible because of Jesus. And then look at verse 23. It goes on to say, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Now there's the next let us phrase. It's telling us, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. You know, we can't live without hope. We have to have a reason to get up tomorrow morning and face another day. We have to have a reason to look out into the future and look forward to what it's going to be in our lives a year from now or 10 years from now or even 100 years from now. What will happen to us? Hope for us is like water to a fish, like electricity to a light bulb, like air to a jet plane. We have to have it to survive. Where are you going to find it? Earlier, I told you about my experience up on a ladder painting my son's house. It made me think of another time when I led a church in New York. We purchased an old church building that needed renovation. And I grew up on a farm. I like to be involved hands-on. And so 
I would often end my office work in the late afternoon at the church building, and then I'd put on some old clothes, and I would go out and spend a couple of hours scraping and painting this old church building before I'd go home. It was a great chance to meet neighbors, make the building look better. I was often doing it alone. Sometimes some other people from the church would help me. But finally, we got to the part near the end of the project when the only part, I had painted most of the building on the outside, but the very top of the building, way high above the ground, had a cross attached to the very top of the steeple. That hadn't been painted yet, and it needed to be. I was alone one afternoon with a tall ladder and a brush and a bucket of paint, and I decided I was going to try to paint the cross. Now, I really don't like heights, but I climbed up to the top, started painting the old wooden cross at the top of the steeple, and then I made a big mistake. I looked down. And when I looked down, I was probably about 40 feet from the ground, but it might have been 400 feet because in my mind, it just looked really terrifying. And all of a sudden, panic came over me. And I had my paintbrush and my bucket in one hand, but I did what came instinctively to me. I just reached up with the other hand and grabbed onto the cross. Now, it was wet with paint, <laughs> but I grabbed onto the cross and I held it tightly until the feeling of panic went away. And I was able to carefully make my way back down the ladder to the ground. That happened years ago, and I've never forgotten that time when I hung on to the cross as if my very life depended on it. But you know what? In a spiritual sense, I have to do that every day. Hang on to the cross and the hope of Jesus Christ because my very life and my forever life, my eternal life, depends on Him. If you feel like giving up, if you are tired and overwhelmed, I want to tell you, you can hang on to Christ. That's where the hope is. Verse 23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, because, this verse goes on to say, God can be trusted to keep His promise. You know, people talk about hope all the time. Hope is even used as a political tool to try to get us to vote for people. Oh, they'll give me hope. Listen, ultimately, hope is found in Jesus Christ who promised, if you believe in me, you will live even though you die. And furthermore, Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees that our hope is real. Acts chapter 2 verse 24 says of Jesus, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that verse. It's impossible for death to hold the Lord of life in its grip. Sometimes I like to wrestle with my grandchildren. I have a little four-year-old granddaughter, and we'll wrestle together, and I'll, she'll get me down on the ground and hold me down and, and pin my shoulders down, and, you know, I am down for the count, right? Well, let me tell you, I'm strong enough and big enough and old enough that when I want to get up, I'll get up. No four-year-old is ultimately going to hold me down. She thinks she's beaten me, but she's not. Well, that's what it was like when Jesus died on the cross, and it looked like Satan and his minions had won the war. And the very Son of God, who had lived a perfect life and fulfilled all those prophecies and taught all those wonderful things, he was down for the count. He was dead. He was gone. He was buried in the ground. But three days later, Jesus came back because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. I have to tell you, folks, I realize as I talk about this, and I think I talk about the resurrection of Jesus every time I preach here at Connection Point. And you know what? I don't apologize for that. 
if Jesus is who he says he is and Jesus really came back from the dead, hey, forgive me for getting really excited about that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, that's the very core of our faith, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was raised again on the third day. The Bible says that that's why you can go on with your work and your service knowing that your service and your life is not in vain. We have hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Not everybody knows that or understands that or thinks about it. I met a medical student from an Asian country who had never attended any church till she came to America. She'd never heard the gospel before ever, really in any form. So I explained to her what we believe about Jesus and explained to her that the Bible says Jesus died on a cross for our sins and three days later he was alive again. Now she was a medical student and she interrupted me at that point when I talked about Jesus coming back to life and she looked at me and she said, you know, that's medically impossible. And I looked at her and I said, that is just the point. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus is the basis of our hope. Life is filled with mysteries, but if you can accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything else falls into place. The Bible teaches us that because He lives, we can face tomorrow. Our hope is real. We don't have to give it up. I know it's hard to understand. If, if you watch the trailer of a movie... It shows just enough highlights to pique your interest, but to get the whole story, you have to watch the whole movie. And let me tell you, in life, day by day, we're just seeing little trailers, little short glimpses. We don't see the whole picture, but God does, and by the time you get to the end of this book, by the time you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it says what it'll be like in heaven, and it says He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 1 Peter 1.3 says, In His great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the source of our hope. That's why Hebrews chapter 6 says, Therefore we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I have a doctor friend who was hiking at the Red River Gorge in Kentucky, and as he re repelled down the side of a cliff, his little finger got tangled in the rope. He broke his finger, but he made it safely to the bottom of the cliff because he held on in spite of the pain. Listen, there are things that are worth holding on to even when it hurts. Jesus is our lifeline, our rope. Don't give up hope. But there's one more let us in this passage. Verse 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now the attention is not just on Christ himself, but on his people, the body of Christ. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now the word translated motivate there literally meant to needle or to provoke. Like farmers who used a sharp stick to prod their animals and get them to move. Or like cowboys who use spurs on their boots to get their horses to go faster. Literally, this verse says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's kind of an interesting concept that Christians are supposed to provoke each other. We're supposed to, in a healthy way, irritate each other. In other words, we're supposed to needle each other and motivate each other, look at each other and say, how can I spur you on toward greater love and good deeds for the Lord? So here's the point. We've talked about how you shouldn't give up on God or give up on hope, but here's the point. 
Don't give up on the church. Now, this may be the hardest point here. Because now we're talking about the people you live and work with and people you go to church with. People you see on the weekend when you gather to worship God. Verse 25 says, let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Don't neglect meeting together. We need to be in community. We're designed that way. You know, we don't earn points from God by attending church services. That's not what this is about. The point is we're designed to be in community. When God created Adam, he looked at Adam and said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And listen, sin hadn't entered the world yet. Adam didn't feel lonely because he was a sinner. He felt lonely because he was human. There's something about human beings that we're drawn into community. We need fellowship with other people. We're like coals in a fire that burn out when they're not connected to other coals. And notice how that verse says, especially now. That, that just stands out to me. Especially now, don't give up on the church. I know the church is taking a beating in a lot of quarters right now. But if you think about the church in the right way, in a healthy way, listen. <laughs> the church is this wonderful thing that we need to highly value. Notice that this verse says, encourage one another. Who needs encouragement from you this week? That's the church being the church. To encourage your spouse, to encourage your kids, to encourage your neighbors, to encourage the folks who clean the building where you work or serve you coffee every morning. We come together at church, we say, to praise God, and that's good. But we also praise Him while we're riding in our car or working out at the gym or having conversations with friends, or even people that we don't know. A building does not define the church or confine the church. The building is simply like a gas station where we come and fill up our fuel tanks so that we can go out and serve God and praise Him and encourage people wherever they are and wherever we are. The church is so badly misunderstood today. It's not a bunch of hypocrites sitting on top of a mountain pointing down at everybody else. We are all imperfect folks climbing together with the help of God. If you've climbed up one step on that mountainside, extend your hand to help somebody else who needs to take another step? That's the church. We're imperfect people who serve a perfect Lord, led by flawed leaders who don't always get every decision right. But the body of Christ, in spite of this, has endured for 2,000 years, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The body of Christ, think of this, it brings together in faith different races, generations, and cultures. It's amazing how the church brings, to be, brings together people who normally wouldn't have anything in common at all. And I'm not just talking here about connection point. I'm talking about the church big C, the body of Christ all over the world, like Christians in Myanmar who are right now being persecuted severely. They're part of Christ's church and they need our prayers. Connection Point, think of this, it's wonderful. Connection Point supports mission works in India and Kenya and Paraguay and Turkey and Eswatini and Guatemala and other countries. They are Christ's church. They're part of the bride of Christ. Now, let me show you a picture. You know, my wife Candy was gloriously beautiful on our wedding day, and she is still gloriously beautiful now. Neither of us were perfect back then, and we aren't perfect now, but let me tell you, after nearly 46 years, our love for each other keeps growing. And so when the Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ, it makes me understand how much Jesus values 
us. Don't give up on the church. Maybe you've been burned by the church. Maybe you're tired of serving. Maybe your spurs have worn down and lost their edge. Let me encourage and challenge you today. Do not give up on the church. God notices your heart and how you're serving him. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. A man named Don Bennett was the first amputee to ever climb Mount Rainier. Now, Mount Rainier is a 14,000-foot-tall mountain in Washington State. Don Bennett climbed it on one leg and two crutches. On his first try, he got within 410 feet of the top, but a windstorm became so strong that it made him go back down. So a year later, he tried it again, and he made it to the top in five days. Somebody asked him how he did it, and he said, one hop at a time. Brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you today is no matter how hard and stormy and windy life gets, no matter how difficult the climb, keep hopping. Keep taking another step. Here is my prayer for you at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. Don't give up. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray today for anyone hearing this message who's been on the verge of giving up. Lord, fan the flames of faith in their heart. Through your Holy Spirit, instill fresh faith and hope and love in all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, never to let go of what matters most, to walk boldly and confidently through the blood of Jesus into your holy presence, knowing that you will be there in our time of need, that your throne is a throne of grace. Help us, Lord, to hold on to our hope and help us as a church not to give up when we see flaws or things that frustrate or disappoint us in the body of Christ, but help us to remember that this church, your church, your people, that's the bride of Christ and help us, Lord, in faith to keep going. Lord, we trust in you. We look to you for our strength. We thank you for these words of encouragement from your holy word. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, your Son, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen.